Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Vince. And I'm Ashley. And we are the lead pastors of the Outlet Community Church. And wherever you are in the world, our heart is to add value to your life. That's right. Whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's a topic in the Bible, whether it's a life skill that you're looking to develop and hone in on, allow us to be an outlet for you. Yes, and our prayer is that wherever you are, whether you're right here in service or you're out in the world in the nation, listen, our prayer is that God meets you right where you are. We all have needs, we all have things, but our God is able and he's able to bless you and get you where you need to be. We have hundreds of hours of digital content that is available for you to consume yes. free of charge. Freely we receive, freely we want to give <laughs> it back to you. So make it a point to check out our page, check out our website at the yeah. Outlet Community. Dot com and you'll be able to find countless hours of videos, podcasts, and other material to help you grow in your walk with God. Hey, if you like some of the content, like, subscribe, share it, and we'd love that. <laughs> See your family and friends. So open up your heart and get ready to receive all that God has for you. particular message that I'm going to share, uh, I tried to cut it as much as I could, and I, it's just not a lot that I could cut out of this. So this is going to be uh, almost like a Bible study on uh, Sunday, because I want to walk you through the Word of God, because you need to be empowered. You need to be equipped with God's Word when life shows up, when temptation shows up. Um, the, the scriptures I'm going to give you for anyone who has ever had one of those problem areas in your life, and you know what your problem area is, I am going to give you the spiritual recipe to overcome any problem in your life. And this is really uh, one of, uh, to, in my estimation, a hallmark that uh, I am so grateful to God that I get a chance for, uh, to share with you. And so we have two opening text scriptures, 1 Timothy 6 and 12. That'll be read from the New Living Translation. And then we'll hop over to Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 49. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version because it has a word that I need uh, to really take a, a, a dive on today. So 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 12, it says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Fight the good fight for the true faith. And we're looking at what does it mean to fight the good fight for the true faith. And whenever I'm looking at a uh, instruction that is given, wisdom that is given, I'm always grateful that I have an example or a model to follow and that model is the only model that really we should align our life to, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I want us to now look at the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 49. If we are to fight the good fight for the true faith, 
Let's look at the person who fought the fight the best in all of recorded history. In Luke chapter 2, verses 42 through 49, we're going to look at Jesus at the age of 12. So fighting the good fight of faith or fighting the fight, the good fight of true faith, we don't have to wait till we're adults to do this. This is why here at our church, we have ministry from the time that they come out of the womb all the way until the time we transition and leave this earth. We really uh, have a heart for our nursery, our preschool, elementary, middle school, high school. We call that our emerging generation. And if you're a parent out there, next Sunday, our directors for our emerging generations would like to meet with you to go over the plan for the year so that we could partner together in helping to uh, uh, launch this emerging gen and equip them when they leave outside of our doors. Amen. Amen. So uh, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 42 through 49, in the New King James Version, it says, And when, speaking of Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they, uh, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And how old was Jesus in this account? Twelve. It's never too early. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, in the Vincent Ebonic translation, boy? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she said to him, son, why have you done this to us. Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. In verse 49, what really rings out, he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Why were you seeking me? And the subtitle of our call to duty series is you were seeking me, but this whole time, I was minding my business. Today, I want to talk about a message on the lines of, mind your business. <laughs> Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, mind your business. Look to your other neighbor. Say, neighbor, mind your business. Look behind you and say, if you didn't get the message, I'm going to need you to mind your business. <laughs> if you're watching at home, if somebody wants to know what this message is about, just go ahead and put in the comment, just go ahead and mind your business, all right? Mind your business. This Call to Duty series, we're, we're picking up. There's a call. You are called to mind your business. Let us pray today. Lord, we just thank you for our time in the Word. 
I'm asking you to just illuminate the way in which we should go. I'm asking the way that you gave this message over a period of weeks that you're able to help me condense this for the sitting that we have today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for the business that you called us all to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says and types in, amen. amen. I, need, I need three individuals who are football, former football players that would like to join me for an illustration on today. <laughs> three former, I need three former, I got one. Oh, come on, come through, come through. I'm an equal opportunity lender. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, we got three. We got, we got our three. Awesome. Uh-oh. Beautiful. Beautiful. I got three. Oh, you took the shoes off. You ready. You told me not to play with it. All right. Oh, no, no. You don't have to take your shoes off. Y'all can, y'all can keep it on for traction. Uh, I, I need you to be on the line. You're going to be on the, uh, uh, as a defensive lineman. Ty, you're going to be my, my, my safety right now. You're going to be my running back. I'm going to be the quarterback. <laughs> All right. Hey, don't let her run through you, dog. Don't, don't let her do it. Run through the wall. You hear me? All right. When I was a senior in high school, um, we were playing a district uh, football game in the middle of the season, and we were playing a particular Catholic school inside of our district that was really old and had literally no budget whatsoever. Their budget, it, it was so bad that the football team could not afford to get a different playbook for the last 50 years that they had the football team. So we knew without any doubt every play that this team was going to run every single time. But there was one particular play that I was responsible for, and I was tied. I was what was called the weak side safety. And I was the guy that you would send when you would call a blitz. And what a blitz means, for those who aren't familiar with football, it means run until you hit something or something hits you. It is your job to run through the football to make the tackle for loss. That was me and my dear friend that I met over the summer was on the other team, and he was the quarterback for that team. They had a particular play called a quarterback bootleg sprint. And the quarterback bootleg sprint, again, for those who might not be familiar with football, he would fake the, the handoff to the right, and he would roll or turn to the left. Now, if I was already on the line on the left side and the coach sent me on a blitz, what did that mean? Run until you hit, run through the football. My coach the entire week said, and they were from Texas, so please forgive, I have to impersonate my coaches, they're from Texas. They said, listen here, Thomas. <laughs> we know without a shadow of a doubt 
that on third down, they are going to fake the running back handoff, do a bootleg out to the left side. It is your job when we send you on a blitz, son, to run right through the quarterback. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. Let's go. He said, they're going to do all types of things to disguise this exact play. The, the, the wide receivers, they're going to try to stop you. The linemen are going to do all types of funny things. He said, but Vince, mind your business, stay home and run through the football. So yes, sir. <laughs> so Friday Night Lights shows up. Let's go ahead and line up on the ball. No, no, you're, you're a defensive lineman. I'm the, I'm the quarterback, so you're facing me. Got my running back. You ready? Get in your running back position. Hands kind of, yep, yep, all right. You are the weak side safety, so fan out. And son, your job is to run through the ball within reason. <laughs> Line up on my other side. Check, check this route over here, all right? I'm the quarterback. We knew without a shadow of a doubt that if they fake the handoff to the right, he was going to do what? Turn left without a shadow of a doubt. So on third down, it came up, and I got the call, which was a war, I was called a warrior safety, weak safety, blitz. Time was on. Set. Now you all stay at, stay at bay, because they were going. <laughs> hey, fake, and then I'm supposed to do what? Run straight through. Something happened that night. My Christianity showed up. My friend, who was the quarterback, who handed the ball right and turned left and saw me running straight at him, I saw his eyes. <laughs> and I had a soft place in my heart for him. And instead of running through him all the way back to Austin, Texas, I just tripped him and fell down and I got yelled at afterwards. You all can be seated. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I use that analogy to show Satan's playbook hasn't changed. Second Corinthians two and eleven says. Uh, Satan cannot outsmart us because we are familiar with his evil schemes. And although I knew without a shadow of a doubt, fake handoff right, bootleg left, I was going to smack him right on, I did not execute. Because it takes a step to go further that you know to now you have to do. Coach Prime this season, when everybody was trying to accuse Michigan of cheating haters, <laughs> Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, said, 
I don't care what they were doing. You can know the play is coming, but if you, if you can't stop it, it's no good to you. What I've seen in church and in life is you know how Satan operates. But we don't have the mechanisms, the tools necessary to defeat him every time he shows his hand. And so first what I want to do is make sure that you know Satan's playbook, and then I want to give you the tools necessary to defeat him every single time. At the end of this message, if you fall into temptation, it's because you want it to. You will never be able to say, the devil made me do it. You'll never be able to say, well, God must have left it there because he wanted to see how strong I could be. I'm removing all excuses. And this hit me right square in the face. So last week we looked at divine strategies for success. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, We are human, but we don't wage wars humans do. We use God's mighty weapons not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. But as we started, I want to look at Jesus, who is the model for success. So go with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to read some scriptures, but we're going to also flip to other scriptures because I want to give you the model. I want to give you the playbook and how we combat Satan's strategies to try to trip us up. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we'll start here. It says, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Verse 2, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Put your finger in Luke chapter 4 or put a bookmark in Luke chapter 4. And let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. As I was reading and I saw where he was tempted by the devil, my next thought is where did this temptation come from? So James chapter 1. Verses 12 through 15. Let's take a look at that. And make sure y'all are writing these notes, saving these notes inside of the YouVersion Bible app. These notes are available for you. Download these notes, email them to yourself, print them out, highlight. This is, this is a lifesaver. James 1, 12. We're going to read all the way to verse 15. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Not if, when you are tempted. Afterward, they will see what crown of life God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Well, verse 14 tells us where temptation comes from. It says, temptation comes from our own desires. 
which entice us and our own desires drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed, is allowed to grow. Means being passive with these desires that are destroying your life. It gives birth to death. James 1 and 14 seems to contradict the account in Luke 4 and 2. Luke 4 and 2, we see that Jesus was tempted by the devil. But in James 1 and 14, it says that each one is tempted when they are drawn away by their own desires and enticed. It's not a contradicting statement these statements are complementing each other. The power in temptation is not with the devil, but the power we give him when we yield to him within our own desires. Satan has no power over you that you do not give to him in moments of testing and tempting. For instance, I'm going to use an outlandish example right now. Satan in this moment cannot tempt me to give away $1 trillion. If Satan had the power over me and he came to me and suggested that I give away a trillion dollars, if he was all-powerful, then I would go and give away a trillion dollars because I could not stop him when he came to me. But because I don't have a trillion dollars, what Satan will tempt me with are things that I can control myself. So Satan would say, I know you're supposed to lay off that hot and ready pizza. <laughs> but have God not said is one slice a sin? Not one. But because I know I have a very all or nothing personality, I'm not about to go order one slice. I'm going to just order the pizza all eight of them, and I'm going to tell myself I'm going to stop after one. But after I eat one, I realize that if I only eat one at a time, I'm doing all right. <laughs> and before you know it, when it comes to just pizza, and I'm having fun with pizza because I could go a whole lot of different places right now. I end up partaking into something that started with just a suggestion, and I end up going further than I ever anticipated. And before I know it, now pizza makes me feel a certain type of way. Eating six slices, I don't want to get my workout in. And then if I don't want to get my workout in, I'm probably not going to want to do it the next day. And then one day of not working out turns into six days of not working out. And 
now I can't really manage the stress like I, you know, used to, so I'm going to substitute the positive behaviors that I was doing, and now I'm going to substitute the self-coping mechanisms with food that I have, so now it's not just hot and ready, now it's McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and anything that I could think of, because have y'all ever gone to the grocery store when you're hungry? <laughs> just the types of cuisines that you can fathom in your mind, you would have never, because of the power of suggestion, not the power of the tempter. So when Satan was tempting Jesus, he was tempting him in areas that Jesus had the power to actually do what he was asking him to do. Satan will only tempt you in areas that you can overcome. But he will lie to you and say that he's tempting you in something you can't help yourself with. But the only way that he's tempting you is from a desire in you, and you have more power than your desires because you choose what desires you will and will not partake of. I knew Aaron would get a resounding amen with that. All right. So now let's look at his playbook. So before I go back to Luke chapter 4, let me tell you his plays. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 16, Satan only has three plays, three. His entire playbook is boiled down into just these three moves. 1 John 2 and 16, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So let's take a look at the plays that he tries to suggest you to partake in. Number one, a craving for physical pleasure, which we call the lust of the flesh. Number two, a craving for everything we see, which is called lust of the eyes. And three, pride in our achievements and possessions. And that is called the pride of life. Those are his only plays. Anytime you'll ever be tempted, it will be in one of those three areas. That's it. And I'm so grateful to God. And we see in Hebrews 4 and 15 that Jesus was tempted as we are. And the Bible says, well, Jesus didn't have the same type of um, things that were available to us that were, that were available to him. How could he be tempted the same way that we are? Because when you get to the root of temptation, it's only lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride. Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh. Jesus was tempted with lust of the eyes. Jesus was tempted to be in pride. And it said, yet he without sin. So he showed us and shows us how to defeat every play Satan tries to throw our way. And he gave us the model back in Luke chapter 4. So let's go back now to Luke chapter 4. 
we're going to see the plays. Let me see if you all were listening. Satan has three plays. Lust of the... Lust of the... And... Good class. Good class. Outstanding. All right, so let's take a look now. Luke chapter 4. Let's pick up at verse 3 and 4. Then the devil said to him, If, challenging his identity, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scripture says, People do not live by bread alone. What do you think that first playbook was? First play of Satan was lust of the lust of the flesh. He came at him with lust of the flesh. The way that he challenged him in the lust of the flesh was he began to question his identity. And if you don't notice what's going on in our world today, they're causing an entire generation to have questions about their identity. And when you have people who are questioning their identity, it then opens the door to all types of evil behavior through lust of the flesh. Spouses cheat on their spouses because they forgot that they identify as a person in covenant with their spouse. Identity. Identity. (laughs) Man, I ain't mean to talk this heavy, but uh, I'm going to talk a little heavy real quick. So I get a question a lot of times of do I do premarital counseling for people who want to get married and are of the same sex or the same gender. And I say, I don't see why not. I'll gladly sit down and counsel with anybody because I only have one textbook. That's the Word of God. I only have one ordaining and authorizing body. That is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's all I can go by. So I would love if they are open to sit down with me and we can walk through Scripture together. And so I've had couples of the same gender come in for premarital counseling. And when we go down to the root issues that affect all relationships, what they realize is that on the surface, they're presenting what they think they want, but when they come face to face with Scripture, there are root issues that have nothing to do with same-sex marriage and more to do with pains and traumas that are not resolved. 100% of the time, every time I've had somebody come in from the same sex to get premarital counseling, they have called off their wedding because they say, I need to work on me first. And I need to grow into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't have that level of handle with scripture, what you'll do is you'll end up pushing people away who need the word of God. Say, oh no, I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I refuse to sit down and talk to the Word with you until you get your life right. Who are we? I will sit and talk with every person because at the end of the day, I know Satan only has a couple tricks up his sleeve. And if I respond to the tricks with the actual Word in context, you end up actually getting to the root issue versus chasing people off because of surface issues. I don't even know what I said. I might have to go back and read. <laughs> Wish I could say it again. 
<laughs> we, 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 all the reason why you get so afraid when you see people who don't look like you is because you don't know who you are and what God has called you to. If you truly understand Satan's tactics and you truly understand the word of God, you should be willing to love on people for the sake of humanity, not turn your nose up for the sake of Christianity. But as long as the church parks its car on these surface issues and doesn't deal with lust as a whole, my lust of the flesh is different than your lust of the flesh, but at the end of the day, we both are lusting in the flesh. And we need each other for accountability and support to help us to not give in to lust. Just because I sin in a heterosexual manner doesn't make it better than those who sin in a, with same genders. It's still sin. And the church will gladly restore somebody who has fallen with someone in the opposite gender, gladly wink its eye with people who are unmarried, sleeping together, but not the same gender, but the moment that someone shows signs or looks to be a certain way, we want to just begin to run and tuck tail and hide. That's hypocritical. Holiness is the standard no matter what you choose. And marriage is not the cure for same-sex situations and issues to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ is the goal for all of us. That's our standard, and we're all working toward that. Amen. That was for somebody. Because what you realize, when you mind your own business, you got a whole lot of stuff to deal with. I used to... <laughs> I'm going to use church for an example. I used to look at other churches and say, ha, that church ain't doing this, that church ain't doing that, that church ain't doing this, that church ain't doing that. And I looked at my church and I said, ooh, I ain't doing this, I ain't doing that. You know, if I spend my time focused on building what I got in my own house, I don't have time to be in anybody else's business. <laughs> you, just, you just don't have time. You do not have time. <laughs> Someone say, mind your business. Mind your business. Until we all bat a thousand when Satan comes our way, you need to mind your business. All right, let's keep going. Man. Oh, on it. Y'all heard him, so y'all take it up with him at the church. All right. So let's go back to Luke. Let's go back to the word. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Let's take a look at another play that Satan likes to throw at us. It says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. 
I will give it all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we saw one play was lust of the flesh. What was his second play, you all? Lust of the eyes or craving for everything we see. Satan only tempts you because he's trying to make you think that you're missing out on something you already have. When he was telling Jesus to bow to him because he would give him the earth, the earth was already the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In the Garden of Eden, what got Eve was when Satan said, if you partake of this tree and disobey, you will be just like God. But in her initial creation in Genesis 1:26, God had already made her in his image and his likeness. So whenever Satan tries to get you to be greedy, he tricks you from realizing that you have all of what you need already on the inside of you. You just need to draw it out and be patient. It's a trick. All right, let's go down to verse 9. It says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Then Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. What was the third trick that Satan tried to use there? Pride. Achievements, possessions. He knew that Jesus could have flexed his muscle and caught himself. But in doing so, he would have sinned in the sin of pride. And so when we're talking about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride, we then now need to know what tools are we given to combat these areas. And so the question remains is, how do I mind my business? Number, or the, the main way, is consistency in the Word of God and prayer. That's how you mind your business. A consistent prayer life. A consistent word life. But here's the next step. Cultivating a lifestyle of fasting of refraining from giving your body all it wants, all the time. Most people will say that I've been in church, I don't know how long, and no one's ever talked to me about a lifestyle of fasting, what we call living the fasted life, never giving yourself all of what it wants. Why should we be skilled with the word? Being skilled with the word is similar to if anyone has ever owned a firearm, you going through a firearm safety course. Unfortunately, with the church, although the word of God is a weapon that we are to use, we have unfortunately been using it improperly by trying to use it on people. The word is a weapon, but it was never designed to be used on a person. We don't wage war as humans do. So we need to be skilled with how to use this word. 
Well, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, it says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only when you obey it will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So the word of God, number one, is what we use to med- as meditation for strength. When you spend time muttering, muttering just simply means to recite over and over and over and over and over again. How many of you in here can recite lyrics pretty well to a song you learned 30 to 40 years ago? Absolutely. When the beat drops, let's say 20 years ago, a year ago, some of y'all got your favorite song. If it came on right now, you would, I mean, just verses, bridge, everything. No sheet of paper, no reference. It's in, that is a muscle. That is a skill God has already naturally given to you, and he wants you to use that skill to place the word in you. Psalm 119 says that I hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. Why? Because when Satan comes with his plays, the word has to come back out to combat the play. So if there's an area that you're struggling with in your life, find scriptures on it to arm yourself when Satan comes. Being skilled in the word also means, let's go to James 1, 23 through 25. James 1, 23 through 25. Amen. It's going to be a little bit longer of a service today, y'all. Because I want y'all to get this. You don't get anything else. Remember this message. This will hold you for the rest of your life. James 1, 23. It says, for if you listen to the word and, and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. Verse 25, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do the word and what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So often people use this word as a window meaning you're sitting here in church and sometimes you hear what I say and you say, oh, I wish such and such was in here to hear exactly what he's saying right now. (laughs) You're using the word improperly. The word is not a window. The word is a mirror. And if you're really looking at the word, you're not thinking about who's not here listening to it. You're thinking about what is the spirit of God saying to me that I am here listening to it. It's a mirror for growth. The last point I want us to cultivate a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. For the sake of time, write down Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 29. I want you to have that. Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 29. And a father had a child that he loved 
dearly, and the child was plagued for many years. The disciples went to help to heal that child. They weren't able to do so. They then, the father then brought the child to Jesus, and he said, Lord, help my son. Um, and Jesus said in verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Key, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. All right, in church, the issue is not about you getting more faith. Romans 12 and 3 says, God has given unto all of us the measure of faith. God knows how much faith you need for your assignment and your life. And the moment that you became born again, you had enough faith to move mountains. Getting more faith is not the issue. The issue is you now have to lower your fear and unbelief. So fasting, the purpose of fasting is to develop in removing unbelief in what God's word truly says about your life. Unbelief that I am really hearing God in its totality, in, its, in, its, in his completeness. And when you spend time uh, fasting, you begin to say, if God's word said it, I'm not moving from it. That's it. Amen. All right. So we could throw up on the screen really quickly. So tomorrow at 6 a.m., we are going to enter the next component of our 31 days of prayer, which is going to introduce the fasting component in our church. And what I'm going to ask is, based off of your level of uh, how often you fast, you may have never fasted before, so I'm not asking you to go full throttle. What I'm asking everybody to do is for the next 12, 18 hours, ask the Lord um, for the next week or so, what is something that you would have me to refrain from so that I could spend time with you? That is your biggest and greatest question. Um, there are those who, will, uh, next slide uh, that I want to go over, which is uh, there will be those who will participate in what is called the Daniel's Fast. The better term for it is really Daniel's Diet. And uh, you see it in uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, as well, uh, 1, verse 8 and 12, as well as Daniel 10, verse 3. Um, and that is committing to live and eat a clean lifestyle. Uh, and, and again, with this, based off budget, based off expertise, based off access, this is not, if you don't do this, the Lord will not be pleased. What we're simply saying, because there are people in here who already live a clean lifestyle, and this is their lifestyle as is. So what may be challenging for some may not be challenging for others. The biggest question is for the next seven days, what would you like me to refrain from so that I can spend more time with you? Um, and so the Daniels, and all of this stuff is located inside of our website. When you search on 31 Days, all of this information is there for you in the notes, in the app. Uh, but what we're talking about, when we're, if for those who are restricting your diet, we're going to be eating vegetables, fruits, uh, plant-based fats, whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts, seeds, herbs, spices, water, and herbal teas. We are, for those who are able... Uh, we're refraining from, Lord Jesus, caffeine. Oh, that hurt me to say that. Um, uh, man. 
Next slide, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, the type of fast that you choose between you and God, and it also depends on your physical ability. So I'm not going to have the fasting police check and see what the Lord told you to do. I'm going to trust that you are going to make the best decision for your life and for your schedule. If you're nursing, pregnant, working 18, 20 hours a day, you bet not starve yourself. You're going to pass out. <laughs> All right? So make the adjustments. A lot of us uh, need to just limit the amount of social media time, uh, the types of music that, that we listen to to be able to focus on God. There's, there's certain things that we can do that we'll feel it just as somebody who's adjusting their, their uh, actual diet. Uh, choose what fits your lifestyle. Most importantly, consult your healthcare professional if you're on any medication, pregnant, nursing, etc. Had to do that. You ain't gonna sue me. All right, next slide. So these are just general parameters. Um, again, this is just for you to see um, and to get an idea. And all of this, of course, is on our website. Um, the first option is Daniel Fast, so the real healthy living foods until 3 p.m. After 3 p.m., uh, you can resume whatever you were normally eating afterwards. So you're just saying that, hey, up until 3, I'm going to make sure I get that word time in, that prayer time in, and I'm going to eat clean until 3 p.m. The second option is to do liquids until 3 p.m. So just, you know, juicing, uh, uh, smoothies, water, those kind of things. And then what we're asking after 3 p.m. is limit your sugars, uh, caffeine. Some of y'all are going to be angry next week. Uh, no, no white flour or refined sugars. The third option is liquids until 3 and then have the Daniel fast, which is all living foods uh, for the rest of the day. And this fast as a church is something powerful when we all just commit to doing something together. So I'm saying just do something. Find one thing. Start wherever you are. When we all come together and seek God together, there's a powerful, miraculous power that's available uh, for our church congregation. Amen. All right, so the fast will begin Monday at 6 a.m., and it will end as we end service on next Sunday. So I'll actually cut it off um, in the corporate fasting portion at the end of our service. Watch how powerful next Sunday's service will be as a result of us all pressing into God together. Amen. Amen. I've gone far over my time. If we could stand today. Thank you all for the extra seven minutes.